Welcome to the Semi-Informed Football Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of European football. Join your hosts, Mark and Marco, as we explore the latest matches, controversies, and stories from the beautiful game across the continent. Whether you're a diehard fan or just getting started, we're here to bring you insightful analysis, lively debates, and a whole lot of passion for the sport we love. Get ready to experience European football like never before. Hey everyone, just jumping into a new weekend recap of the Semi-Informed Football Podcast. Now this one features myself, Marco, Mark, and Matteo. Now this is the first episode where I've been on with Matteo, so um, I know a lot of people out there think we're the exact same person. We are not. We are different people. So uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna jump into that, and we're going to talk a lot of great things around the five big leagues all over Europe. So we're gonna kick things off by talking to uh, Premier Premier League in uh, England. And Matteo, you're going to take that one away. Okay, so uh, again, the Premier or the headline match of this weekend once again involved Arsenal in a London derby against Chelsea. Chelsea, as we know, uh, have received a lot of sick uh, this season and last season for splashing all this money, having the, not the best players in the world, but some exciting players and playing like a below average team, to put it nicely. So going into this, Arsenal were heavy, heavy favorites. Um, at halftime, though, Chelsea found themselves 2-0 up. Um, and then in the end, the 77th minute, Declan Rice scored a long-range shot off of a goalkeeping error from Sanchez on Chelsea to make it 2-1. And then within seven minutes, Leandro Chossard taps in a beautiful cross from Bukayo Saka to make it 2-2. And from that point onward, Arsenal kept applying pressure, going forward, forward, forward. And it looked like is going to be another great comeback from the Gunners. Alas, they couldn't find the third goal, and the game ended up 2-2. A game which Chelsea, it feels like a loss to them, and to Arsenal, it feels like two drop points. So at the end of the day, both sides, you could say it felt like they lost here. Yeah, I want to jump in here because I, I, I really enjoyed this game. I, this is one of the few Premier games that I did catch. Um, so, Mateo, what do you think? Mudrik, his goal, was that a goal or was that a lob for a pass? <laughs> It was a complete fluke, in my opinion. If you watched yeah. uh, the replay, um, he wasn't even looking at the goal. And yes, Raya was completely off his line. And the lob shot, which ended up going in, it was on. It looked like, okay, you know what? It's a real possibility. But Modric wasn't even thinking of that, in my opinion. No one knows but him. But in order to yeah. have that and pull it off, I don't think he could do that. Yeah, I also think it was a fluke. And I think this is the first uh, game, since we're talking about it, that was a, a tale of two halves. Um, Chelsea clearly up early and the second half, especially late, Arsenal brought it on, but I don't know where Arsenal was in the, in the first half. And I know Mark, you know, uh, you're probably going to make fun of me on this, but Matteo uh, Havertz did factor into the second Chelsea goal, didn't he? <laughs> I think he did. Yeah. It's fair to say so. Yeah. So he's not showing on the score sheet, but uh, an assist to an assist, I guess that still counts. Another thing that I was looking with that. So David Rea, is he taking the first, uh, the starting, uh, I guess, keeper, uh, role in that in in Arsenal? Well, the main keeper for Arsenal, uh, it's still Ramsdale. Yeah. The reason why he wasn't there this game is because his wife actually had a baby. So he was with the family uh, celebrating the birth of the child. And um, Raya is still a very good backup. And they've been competing all season to see who's going to start for the big games. But I think after this game, it's pretty clear it's not going to be Raya. Yeah. Yeah, he was a little... He was. Uh, yeah, you're right. He, was, he, he did show out of, uh, out of, out of line a little bit. But... Um... I, f- I feel like Arteta did want to have that kind of healthy competition between keepers, but um, I'm interested to see like where it's going to end up. Yeah, I think I think Ramsdale has to sort of uh, 
buckle down mentally because he can't show that he's um, feeling iced out or anything. He's not. I think it is what you just said, the the healthy competition, right? And on that note, though, Rhea, you know, he made some blunders, I thought, that led to a goal. And conversely, on the other, on the other side of the pitch, uh, also uh, an error that led to a goal. Yeah, he's coming down with the Onana virus, huh? Okay. So next up, we have the Merseyside Derby. So we had Liverpool versus Everton. Mark, what happened in this game? All right, so, you know, this, this derby hasn't been um, as spectacular as it used to be once upon a time, namely because Everton's been pretty low in the table year after year. Uh, but this game, they were giving Liverpool, you know, a run for their money. It was pretty tight. Um, it wasn't until late when Liverpool finally got a penalty kick, uh, a much-warranted penalty kick, okay? Um, crossed it in. The player's arm was extended. Uh, they did go to VAR. Yeah. And this is an interesting thing about this call. Normally, we hear that the defender's arms need to be close to the body. But in this instance, they said the VAR review was to see if the players were too close to each other because the way they were explaining it, if the cross comes in and his arm was out, he doesn't have a chance to pull it back, which... Yeah. But that, but that's a really stupid thing to say because then aren't all defenders in the box just going to get close and have their hand out? Yeah. Uh, when I When I saw that, the way I was thinking it is that kind of restricted players from just kicking it at people's hands, uh, other players' hands. So uh, you're right. That 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 was a trickier one. And I know they were they were taking a little longer looking at that. But yeah, that was an interesting call. And I think it went the right way. I think so. Because if, if it didn't, then I think defenders in the box have the right to have both their hands out and just getting close enough to a player, right? So any which way, the call was the right call. It was a PK, and just before Mo Salah uh, took the shot, the camera zoomed in onto Jordan Pickford's water bottle, uh, the keeper's water bottle, and on his water bottle, he had diagrams and percentages of where uh, Mo Salah shoots. But in a masterclass deception, right as Salah goes to take it, uh, Pickford moves to his left and yeah. moves to his right. Yeah. Uh, Salah had done a little feint and he put it to Pickford's left. Pickford was left sort of just in the middle. Didn't even commit either way. It was a strong shot. Um, great, great goal. Yeah, and I, I thought that was really interesting because like, I did see the diagram. I think the commentators were pointing out on the on, on that diagram, but when he went to go drink his water, he didn't grab that water bottle. So I'm just yeah. wondering if that was on there just as a kind of a, just messing with his mind a little bit, but um, it was a strong, strong kick. So I think even if he did guess right, that might've been really, really tough to save. Yeah. And I guess, uh, you know, we forgot to mention that um, this came after Everton had got their uh, red card. Okay. So they were down a man. Uh, they, and you know what? I'll, I'll give them credit. They were, they were defending really well. You know, online, the trolls again, oh, parking the bus, parking the bus. But when you are down a man, you're looking for that point. You're looking for that tie. That is, you know, for you. Yeah. 
yeah, that that's a win for you. That's a, that's a great strategy to do. But I think what was really impressive to me was the structure of their defending. They were giving up, you know, much space for Liverpool to get even close to the box. At one point, the commentators even remarking how all the shots that Liverpool's taking are coming from outside. And there was a one, you know, everyone was hoping for Soboslai to just unleash a couple of rockets. He tried. A couple of them were duds. But then he got a rocket on net, and uh, Pickford did well to make that save. He palmed it, and it still hit the crossbar. But what a shot. Yeah. And um, Jurgen Klopp made those substitutions. In came Nunez. And, you know, he's one, he's one of, if not the fastest player in the Premier League. I think he's in the top three for sure. Uh, got a break. It's a two-on-one. And he fools the defender, flips the ball to Salah. And Salah just showing his quality. He just put it by Pickford, 2 nothing. This one's over. If you play fantasy, hopefully you pick Salah as your captain. I did. Yeah. And and crazy thing with that is that uh, still the rumors are out there about him going to Saudi, um, I guess, at the end of the year or maybe even in January. Mark, what's the comment on that? Like, Liverpool's going to have a huge hole to fill. Oh, for sure. But I, I think, I, I don't think he's going anywhere this year. If he did, I think he would have left in the summer. I think Salah wants to finish out this year. Um, could he leave next summer? Absolutely. That could happen. But I think he's here for the full year. Um, clearly he's committed. Clearly he's um, he's been super important, right? Darwin Nunez has scored only one goal uh, for Liverpool in the Prem since the end of August. So it's important to have uh, Sal at his best. Okay, so next up, we have uh, Brighton versus City. So we had Deserby versus Pep Guardiola. Now, this was, I, I heard a lot of mind games uh, from the coaches uh, before this uh, match. How did this one play out? So, you know what, this game, um, you know, I thought it was going to be a goal fest because Brighton are a team that score a lot of goals, make a lot of chances, but defensively, especially this year, they're shocking. City, again, they can attack. We know that. And recently, off the back of two losses in the Premier League, they're not in great form. So I thought it was going to be a high-scoring game uh, going into it. Uh, however, after 20 minutes, Man City found themselves 2-0 up. Alvarez with a great team goal. A scuffed finish off his left foot, but back then that doesn't really matter as long as it's a goal. That's what counts. Then a few minutes later, Erling Haaland showing the world once again why he's considered at least the second-best player in the world with an outside-the-box strike bullet right into the bottom corner. Uh, past the Brighton keeper to make it 2-0. But then, from that point onwards, City kind of felt a little bit lax and comfortable in the game. Uh, it didn't really phase Brighton at all, really. And this brought it to the point where super subs come on in the second half, one of them being Antio Fati, who grabbed the goal to make it 2-1 in the 73rd minutes. From that point onwards, Brighton were pushing, trying to get an equalizer, uh, and things were falling in place for the equalizer. One of them being Manuel Kanji being sent off in the 95th minute. But uh, in the end, Man City held on with um, no starting keeper, no Ederson, it was Ortega, which was a bold choice by Guardiola considering Ederson is available. Um, but 
they held on, got their first win uh, in the the past three games in the Prem, and uh, it's a bright sign of things to come once again for City. Yeah, this was definitely the the third game now that we're talking about, uh, which was a tale of two halves. Mm-hmm. So in this one, you can see what Brighton was trying to do in the first half. I don't know, maybe tired legs from the international, whatever, with a lot of long balls, right? And with, you know, John Stones was pressing so high, he he looked like a like an attacking mid at one point. And I guess the thought process was that Brighton would try and long ball it, look for a counterattack. And that wasn't working. So the masterclass here was going back to what Brighton does best. Uh, almost a page out of uh, Guardiola's Tikataka. It was the short passes in the second half. Um, the passes in um, under pressure, actually, that were really helping Brighton climb out of that first half drab. And I'm almost willing to bet if you gave an extra 20 minutes, Brighton would have tied the game. Yeah, I'd agree. And, you know, going back to the whole, like, pre-game antics and the whole mind games thing, um, this is actually intriguing because both of these teams uh, have European matches coming up this week. So it was in, uh, intriguing to see who is going to play this this game in the Premier League because uh, Man City play in two or three days. Brighton play as well, which they are in the group of death in the Europa League. So both of them are fighting, more so Brighton, to stay alive in Europe. So picking players and selection here was really key, but I thought um, they did a great job fielding a team that was good. And... It was Rodri's first game back in three or four games for City, and we saw how influential he was. He controlled the midfield perfectly, just as we're used to seeing with him. And the final note on this match was that uh, there was rumors that Pep told the Brighton players back in May, Zerbi, he's the next Man City manager. Mm. All right, let's move on to the rest of the league roundup. There was a lot of red cards uh, this weekend. Everton on the red, Bournemouth got a red, Man City had their red, and Burnley um, got the red. Let's quickly walk through the the game. Brentford, 3-0 over Burnley. Um, Burnley's not really showing much competition. The Wolves-Bournemouth game, um, Neto really showing his worth, contributed to the goal. Wolves won 2-1. The next game, Nottingham Forest and Luton Town. To me, this was an interesting one. Nottingham Forest at home, up to nothing, only for Luton Town to come back and tie the game late. Um, Newcastle, four nothing winners over over Crystal Palace. Man United won on the road, two one at Sheffield United, just barely, just barely, yeah. And in our final Sunday game, it was Aston Villa 4, West Ham 1. That game was at home. Also on the um, Douglas Luiz, star of the game, and definitely Ollie Watkins chipping in. And interestingly enough, Watkins, when asked after the game, you know, how his game has improved or changed, he talked about a new sort of coach in the background, uh, an assistant coach, if you will, named Rodri. And he said that Rodri really studies the film 
uh, of the opponents the week before and, and tells Ollie, you know, these guys are going to do this. You need to change your game and you need to do that instead. And Ollie said, you know, everything he said week in, week out is what I'm doing. And he's predicting it right. So hats off to Coach Rodri for all that help that he's giving. And you know what? Just wrapping things up, I'm just looking at the the standings right now. This is the top five. Look how they're playing out. So City and Arsenal tied with 21 points. Liverpool and Tottenham tied for third and fourth with 20 points. Going, going into fifth, Aston Villa at 19. So it's really, really tight in the top five uh, spots. So I, I don't know where a lot of people thought City might have been running away with this one earlier on. It looks like it's kind of tightening up. Yeah, I know. And, you know, I'd go as far as maybe... Let's go down to 15 points. So eighth place, Man United. You're really only two wins out of first place. And I made a, a, a mention of it last week on the podcast. When we were laughing at uh, Chelsea, I still said, Chelsea's only three wins out of first. Mm-hmm. They were nine points back. So, you know, they begin this slow climb. This, this tie against Arsenal is huge. Is it the best Chelsea game played this season? Probably. I mean, if they had maintained it in the second half, that would have been a huge win. But they stopped Arsenal from gaining an extra two points, right? That is true. You know, going into the whole stretch of like hard games, which we said last podcast, um, I think I was saying one win from this and Poch keeps his job, uh, his job for a little bit longer. <laughs> and the first game tied against one of the league leaders, Arsenal, I think any Chelsea fans taking that in a heartbeat. Yeah. So going forward, who knows how many wins they can grab? Who knows? Seriously. Yeah, with with Chelsea going from Tuchel to Potter like so quickly, I honestly think I think they have to ride out this coach for the year, no matter what. Like as long as they're not in relegation, like I I feel like you know they got to keep like we we know Potch is a good is a good coach. Um, I think you got to ride this out to go through thick and thin. Like honestly, the fact that they sacked Potter like that was. I just thought that was a little bit quick last last year. Hey, you know what? Honestly, like it's it's London, so there's a lot of crazy fans out there, and they're calling for blood. Okay, let's let's, let's move into the Serie A. And before we actually talk about the Serie A, I'm going to talk about Italian football, right? So first of all, um, this has been all over all over media's, but the betting scandal, the betting scandal in uh, in in Italian football. So it's it's hit three stars right now. So the first one being Nicola Fajoli who is on Juventus right now. Now, he was accused of uh, betting on games. I guess he, he cooperated with the Italian prosecutors. And he said, you know what? I do have a gambling problem. I have bet on games. They were never on games of teams that I've been playing for. So that cooperation actually led him to um, a reduced penalty of where it could have been as high as three years that he's taking seven months. So uh, he, yeah, he, he's done. You won't be seeing him this season. Uh, he, he's, he's done off that team. The next two were Nicolo Zaniolo and uh, Sandro Tonali, who uh, are both now are bo- Italian players, but who are both now playing in England. Now they're being accused as well uh, of betting, uh, betting on football. So next, next we have Nicolo Zaniolo. The the jury's out on that one. And then leading into Sandro Tonali, who made a big move from Milan to Newcastle this summer. Mark, what do you have to say about that one? Yeah, so Tonali came out, you know said he also has this uh, problem, this addiction, and that he did, in fact, bet on his own Milan games when he was there, betting on them to win, right? And this is where I have a, a little bit of an issue with 
how harsh the penalties might be. I understand it's the rules. I understand it's, um, you know, he shouldn't be doing it. But I think it's not like he was betting on Milan to lose because then that would be more of a match-fixing thing if he was involved in the loss, right? Not condoning it, but at the same time, I think they need to look at that a little bit, you know? Yeah, more. I, I get it. I, I think they have to stay away from that. But I understand, I think uh, the president of, I guess, the Italian Football Association came on. We're not, you know, these guys are kids, right? Uh, we're not here to, you know, send them up the river. We're here to support them no matter what they're doing. Again, you're looking at top sponsors throughout Serie A being betting companies. So, you know, it, yeah. it, it is it is kind of odd that that's going to happen. Another two uh, players that got 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 accused were Nicolo Casale and also Stephen El Sharawi from uh, from Roma. So those haven't, they, neither of them have have admitted uh, to to actually betting. So that's something that's coming up. So what's interesting here, and uh, I was reading a whole lot into this. So the accuser of this, uh, it's it's a it's a gentleman. I'll say his name's a gentleman, but his name is uh, Fabrizio Corona. So Corona, Corona with, with the accent on the A, but he's been a known, I guess, paparazzi in uh, in 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 like I guess the Italian media. So for the last twenty years or so, like. Like his deal has been trying to catch uh, politicos and sports figures in compromising situation with with you know with, with other women, right? So you know that that's been his game, and he's actually also been known to accuse people. It actually being overturned because there was actually no no basis to it. So he is a uh, I don't know, like best you could say is he he's a piece of work. Uh, he's actually gone to jail before for his involvement with. Uh, uh, with with accusing a political. So again, on top of that, he said he has a list of about 50 players. You know, he put this on his new site, but again, from his, from this guy's standpoint and what he is, um, I guess you have to take everything with a grain of salt, right? So, and for a lot of people saying, you know, all oh, these guys, you know, how do they get caught up and they have everything, you know, they're making good money and stuff. Yeah. I do want to point out that that goes to show, um, that it is an addiction, right? It is an addiction um, because, yeah, they do have a lot more money than the average person. They're living a very privileged life, but that doesn't mean that they're uh, not affected by addiction. Okay, I'm going to go really quickly into a few games on Serie A. Um, start off with Inter Torino. Uh, Inter beat Torino 3-zip. Again, two of their strikers uh, came out on top. They were just phenomenal. So uh, Turam and Lautaro each got a goal apiece. Again, showing really, really class within Serie A. Like, uh, bringing Turam in as that secondary striker uh, when Zeko left, like, that was a really uh, smart move for him. So Turam's doing well. And then just to uh, uh, wrap it up, uh, Chalinolu with the penalty kick. Um, you know, they they... they Looked very, very comfortable. Torino actually put, put up a huge fight, but um, you know what? Uh, they looked comfortable. Um, one thing I want to point out, and I don't think uh, people give him too much credit, but Sommer and Net, Jan Sommer and Net, like, again, I watch a lot of Bundesliga and I knew this guy was on track. I, this, he was a phenomenal goalie. Like, uh, they brought him in to uh, Bayern after Manny Neuer had his uh, sort of skiing accident right after the World Cup. And I thought he did a very solid job. And I've seen a lot of him. And I think he is a great, great goalie. Uh, if you went back even to the Euro, where I think it was Switzerland beat Spain. And he, him stopping the penalty kicks. Like, 
again, I think summer was a great ad. So again, Onana out, summer in, I don't think that was much of a, I, I think Inter is, it did, is doing a good job there. Second, I'm going to go to the other game. Um, another game that uh, we took a look at, it was Napoli and Hellas Verona. So Napoli beat them 3-1 and we expected that. They were a lower lower team in the Serie A. Uh, Kvart Skelia got uh, two goals. Again, looking really, really great. So I feel like Napoli is, you know, they kind of stumbled out of the gate at the uh-huh. beginning of the Serie A season, but they're looking a whole lot better. So Kvart Skelia taking kind of the mantle because Osimhen on the last international break, he got a hamstring injury, not 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 being in not being in the lineup, but Kvart Skelia really kind of going with that. So they beat uh, Hellas Verona 3-1. And also with uh, more controversy with Osimhen, first with the uh, TikTok yeah. videos, yeah, and now with rumors that uh, the owner, with uh, De Laurentiis supposedly saying, you know, well, like if he wants to go, he can go. Yeah. They're in the midst of a, that contract talk, right? I don't know. It just looks like story after story. I wouldn't be surprised if Osimhen goes in January. Oh, I think that's a little bit early. I think they still need him for that, but um, yeah, I know they need him, but yeah, no, 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 but but a big change where I think the Saudis offered two hundred million, and he said he goes, "That's for one leg. What about the other?" Right? So De Laurentiis really kind of putting a huge price on him. Again, I don't think, you know, maybe it's January, but I don't think he's going to start a second season in Napoli. I think in the in the in the summer, I think he's gone too. Okay, I'm going to wrap wrap it up with the third game and the Serie A was. Juventus Milan. Now there was a lot of lot of kind of talk about this, but uh, you know what? Kind of got off to a slow start. Uh, Mike Mignon, who we were talking about, I know Mark was talking about this before on an earlier podcast where Giroud had to come in and just kind of make a make a great save. I think he was in for five minutes in the last in the last Milan game, right? So they actually started a forty year old Antonio Mirante, uh, who I thought did a very very good job. Now they ended up losing this game, so Juventus won. Juventus won one nothing. But it was based on, like, Locatelli had a kick from, like, the top of the box, but it was deflected and went in. So it was just bad luck. And I just I just feel that, you know, if, if Milan didn't have that red card, if they played their full game, I don't think Juventus would have beat them. Uh, one benefit I saw with Juventus is that uh, both Chiesa and Dusan Vlaovic came in at the end. And I, I thought they were ruled out for the game, to tell you the truth, because of uh, just kind of lingering injuries. I know Vlaovic has kind of that back injury in Kiesa. I don't know, man. That guy can't stay healthy for too long anyway. But they both came in to play uh, a few minutes to kind of close off this game, which I think was really, really reassuring. I think um, Vlaovic had two uh, attempts at net. Both of them looked like they could have went in. But again, this uh, Antonio Morante, he did a really, really great job to keep that in. So this one, uh, really interesting. Um how we're looking at the um, the, the the sorry we're looking at the standings right now. Inter in first place with twenty two points, Milan in second place right behind them at twenty one points, and Juve in third at twenty points. So top three really 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 uh, close. Uh, Fiorentina is in fourth at seventeen, tied with Napoli. I feel like Fiorentina is going to start dropping, and Napoli is going to head up a little bit. So it's going to be a fight between those top four teams in Serie A. So going to be really interesting. And Roma actually. Getting out of their funk, they're riding that three-game win streak. Yeah. They won one nothing over Monza. Yeah, yeah, yeah really, really interesting. They're like again, um, Mourinho. Is this his last year? What's going to happen with him? There's been some rumors. I'm like, rumors of going back to Real Madrid or potentially. I think Saudi's throwing some huge money at Mourinho, but I don't think he's going to be in Roma past the season. 
I don't see him going to somebody no matter how much money they throw at him. Yeah. He, he's got an ego on him, the special one. Just not his type of scene. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess at this point, it's like, you know, like what 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 benefit is in there? Like, again, even Ibrahimovic, I think he could have went there, made a little bit of money, but it, he knew he knew where he was and he, he knew he was done. All right. Awesome. I'm going to jump into the Bundesliga. So match day seven right now. Um, you know what? I, we're, normally, we would talk a lot about Bayern when we would talk a lot about uh, Dortmund. I'm really going to go really, really quickly on those. So Bayern beat Lonely Minds 3-1. Um, interesting things here. Um, Kane scored. Um, he scored his ninth goal again, doing really, really well in the Bundesliga. I think he's doing really well with his, uh, supporting cast too. So they're really pumping him up. Sven Ulreich had to make a few really great stops. Um, now I heard Manny Neuer might be kind of back. So I kind of lurking around, uh, uh, around the stadium. So I don't know how close he is to coming back, but you know, Sven Ulreich's had to kind of really stand on his head. But in, in this game, even though a lowly mind minds, I, I think he was really good. Musiala had phenomenal footwork in this game. However, one thing I'm going to be interested in, and I know Mark being a Liverpool fan, he's going to love hearing this, is that, you know, there's been some rumors that he's not really kind of uh, clicking with Tuchel at Bayern. So I've heard some rumors that, you know, Liverpool might be on the horizon. And uh, Musiala's, uh, I guess, uh, training mate from like in, from his teens, uh, Jude Bellingham is just telling him, I'm like, yeah, man, go. Mark, like, where, how, how much would you like that move? Yeah, I would love it. He's amazing, fantastic, young player. Uh, there was a point where I thought, who, who's going to stand out more, him or Nabry? And I mean, I know Nabry's been injured, but Musiala's really taking that uh, that kick there. Um, if that's true, that there's problems with Tuchel, I think that also shows that as much as he is in charge, Tuchel needs to learn how to adapt. Right? It's about bringing your team on board, getting them not creating division that's a page out of 10 hags book okay and going really quickly uh to two teams i really want to focus on in the bundesliga uh first one i'm going to say Bayer leverkusen so um i guess playing Xabi alonso ball um they've been on fire uh they beat wolfsburg 2-1 um and uh, it was goals by frimpong and grimaldo now really really i don't know i i think they're playing great i think they're playing inspired uh football um, they actually also bought on, and this one I think it is a lost. It, is, it was lost from a lot of players. But Victor Boniface uh, coming in, he's a Nigerian striker, but uh, he came in from uh, Union Saint Gilois in um, in Belgium. Like again, I, I think we there's a lot of talent that's come out of there, but there's a lot of teams that's that slept on Boniface. Like I think even uh, like Milan is kicking themselves because that was on their radar as well. But I think he's off to a great start, and I think he's fitting really, really well into the Bundesliga. And Union Gilois, you know, they, they had a good run in Champions League last mm-hmm. year. They gave some big teams a tough time. So I thought, you know, other teams would have been looking out. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's a team that you don't hear you didn't hear too much about, but maybe, you know, they're starting to make a little bit of waves. Like I from what I understand is the Belgium League is just getting better and better and better, right? So, you know, maybe the you know, we're gonna hear a, a lot from them, a lot from other teams uh coming up through there. But I definitely think, you know, this Bundesliga race I mean, uh, what is it? Seven points separate sixth from first. So this is going to be another great uh, race to watch. Yeah, for sure. And then going into my second game, um, and another team that's really, really fun to watch. And um, <laughs> Mark loves one of the players on that. But Stuttgart uh, with a 3 uh, nil win. So Sir Garassi, a uh, Ghanaian forward, he got, he, got, he got the first header. So that's a 14th goal in eight games. Now, how amazing is that? Like across all 
European uh, leagues. Oh, it's absolutely amazing because we know what the quality is like. And for him to have 14 goals, unbelievable. I mean, this is second place Harry Kane, who we already know is a, is a phenom, is sitting on nine. Yeah. On, on, honestly, and every time I feel like I see a really, really great striker in the Bundesliga, I feel like it's Germany looking. I'm like, how can we repatriate this person and make him German, right? Because yeah. just they've had some problems with the striker position on the on die Mannschaft, right? But uh, but again, really, really good to hear this. Really good uh, good luck story for for Guirassi. And um, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, he's 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 keeping it going. It wasn't just a quick start. Like he, he's, he's going and the team is playing really, really well. All right, next up, we're moving on to La Liga, where Mateo, start us off with the Barca game. Okay, so Barca were playing Athletic Bilbao, and they're playing uh, the primetime game, the last game on the Sunday. And going into this, again, after the international break, Barca pretty banged up, missing six stars, missing Rafinha, missing Lewandowski, Frank de Jong, Pedri, Gunde, and Sergio Roberto. So six players who have formed themselves into this first team, no questions asked. And... Ever since the injury of Frank de Jong a few weeks ago, Barca have looked extremely both defensively, offensively, and the midfield. Keeping possession was never a strength without him, yet it's the Barca philosophy. They use the ball to create attacks and play tiki-taka football. So going into it, I wasn't super confident because no Frank de Jong, no party in my opinion. End of the day, Barca ended up sneaking out the win, but it wasn't attractive football. It was very, very ugly to see multiple times. Nico Williams, alongside his brother, Niaki Williams, on Bilbao. Um, they put some fear into our back line. Justagen was tested multiple times, made some great saves, uh, near misses, the whole lot. Yet, the big story here is, the goal doesn't come from one of our starters that was playing, like Ajao Felix, or like even Alamin Yamal. It comes from another 17-year-old. His name is Mark Yu, and uh, it's spelled a bit weird, so you can cut yourself some slack if you can't pronounce it. But Mark Yu was one of four academy players who were placed on the bench for this game due to injuries, which I mentioned before. And uh, with his second touch of the game, 30 se- 37 seconds after coming out of the field, he scores the winner, um, and he was ecstatic. Everyone in the stadium felt the energy he brought with him. His family was there. They were all crying because what a special moment it was. But if you're Xavi, you got to ask some questions from your team. Defensively, they are horrendous right now. And I don't know if I can blame that just because of a midfielder missing or because of some other starting center backs missing. But as a unit, they look extremely, extremely vulnerable. But end of the day, they got three points and they're only one point behind Real and second place Girona going into the Classico next week. Yeah, but looking at this lineup, I mean, really, I mean, I know Athletic is, is doing well this year. But you still have Gavi in the lineup. You still have Cancelo. You still have uh, Andreas Christensen, Gundogan, Joao Felix, Ferran Torres. I mean, Gavi. This this should still be a pretty stacked side. It should be. They, they should, should be, be putting Athletic, you know, to bed. Tristegan and that, right? Yeah, it should be. So that's why Xavi should be worried because uh, I have faith in Xavi. I have for the past two years since he was appointed over Koeman, which uh, after him, everything is pretty much uphill. Um, but I don't know. This is the first time in my his time that I felt there's not a real plan. It's just a bit of hit and miss, not really consistent. The complete opposite from last season 
where they would scrape out these 1-0 wins like we saw today. But it was a regular occurrence. This one, it didn't feel super planned. It didn't feel secure. And again, we saw it with Sevilla a few weeks ago, relying on Sergio Ramos' own goal, which, thank you very much, we'll take that. But it's not yeah. going to come every week. Yeah. So I don't know what has to change. I don't know if you can blame it just to injuries, but they got to pick it up ASAP. But you did mention the defense, and we've talked about defensive woes everywhere. Uh, I often mention it, Liverpool. And it almost seems like, you know, if you're a parent out there and you want to give your, your child a better chance of uh, making it, get them to focus on being a quality defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, too much competition for mid and forwards. The world needs defenders. And you know what? Yeah, this kind of ties into exactly our fullbacks. Last season, our back line was Balde, a left back, Araujo, Christensen, center back, and then right back was Kunde. Kunde isn't really a right back, but he's more defensive minded. So we had one fullback who was going forward in Balde, who was athletic, great offensively, not super smart or efficient defensively, but going forward, he's excellent. And the back three, we had Kunde, Araujo, Christensen, all proven center backs, athletic, two of them, anyways, and intelligent. But now, with this new system where you have Cancelo and Balde, there's so many times we're caught up with both fullbacks up the field, and there's two center backs left in the back. And now, when Araujo and Kunde, the fast, athletic ones, aren't there, and we're left with a guy like Christensen there, that's where he gets exposed. Because a fast striker like a Williams, or a Victor Oshiman, for example, in the Champions League, potentially, they will expose them, because they are faster, and they'll catch them on the break every single time. But I think that's the main thing. We've gotten too greedy in terms of goals. All right, now on to the uh, La Liga leaders. Real Madrid were up against, uh, they were away uh, to Sevilla. And this game ended 1-1, thanks to a David Alaba own goal in the 74th minute. Well, that put Sevilla ahead. Um, and a couple of minutes later, Danny Carvajal got the equalizer. Now, looking at the standings, this is another interesting race, although we could, I think we could almost narrow it down a bit more. Um, I would say that this is really a five-team race. And the reason I say that is Real Sociedad, in fifth place right now, has won four of their last five games. Atletico Madrid in fourth, sitting on 22 points, they have a game in hand. And if they win that game in hand, they're tied for first. Barcelona is in third with 24 points. And Girona continues um, with 25. They keep winning. And Madrid's on 25. So if, if Atletico wins that game, that game in hand, you'll have three teams tied at 25 points. And Barca 24 and Sociedad at 18. Pretty tight. Yeah, it's really tight, actually. It's the most... It's the closest we've seen the league for a couple of years, especially with new teams like Girona. No one would ever expect them to be there. But uh, I think it's still the case of the three-horse race, Barca, Real, Atletico, and trying not to be biased, trying my very best not to be biased here. I think it's between Barca and Atletico, not so much Real this season. Oh, come on. No, I'm listen, listen. I'm telling you, not because of the results, I'm telling you because of how they play. If you watch the game, which I'm sure you did, uh, against, well, Real's most recent game. After 1-0 down, there was nothing going forward, especially from star boy Bellingham, okay? 
Yeah. They scored right after they went 1-0 down. They scored after they went 1-0 down. That's from Carvajal, a moment of brilliance. It's a genius header from him, which, again, it doesn't come every day. So there's never going to be a, a proven solution with these guys without a striker, which is the main concern for me with these guys. Atletico, Antoine Griezmann, Barcelona, Robert Lewandowski, Real Madrid, Yosselu. It's a big draw-off. So going back to my earlier point in this podcast, could you see Victor Osiman go to Madrid in January? It's a possibility, but I think it's more likely for him to leave at the end of the season, like Marco said. Yeah. And if you were to leave, I think he has a better chance of going to a team like a Chelsea than a Real. The striker killer of Chelsea. All right, moving on. Let's move to League uh, We'll start off with a, a scores roundup. So in Liga, PSG won big 3 nothing. Uh, Le Havre and Lens 0-0. Lorient and Rennes, 2-1. Nice and Marseille, 1-0 for Nice. Lille and Brest, 1-0 for Lille. Jonathan David finally getting a point. He's got an assist on that goal. Toulouse and Rems, 1-1. Monaco, 2-1 at Metz. Nantes, 2-0 at Montpellier. And Claremont, foot over Lyon, 2-1, which was a bit of a shocker. The other ironic thing here is that the French League only had one red card this weekend, whereas in La Liga, there was three. In the Bundesliga, there was one. In Serie A, there was three. And in the Premier League, there were four. And that kind of leads uh, to the fact that the headlines with League, uh, even if it is a bad VAR call or a bad refereeing decision, there's never really much attention around the actual game itself. I see more headlines around either it's fan misbehavior or mm. things that are outrageous and not part of the game. The league isn't getting headlines for the gameplay itself, which is, which is what it should be. Yet they're not doing that. And this is probably why um, nobody is actually trying to acquire the TV broadcasting rights for this league. League 1 and League 2, they uh, recently put the rights up for auction, as most leagues do. And being a top five league, the, quiet, uh, the price is quite high. They initially put it over £1 billion. And after two days of no action, nobody wanted to buy it, which, I mean, why would you? Uh, they lowered the price down to 693 million pounds, so almost a 300, over a 300 million pound hit in terms of the price they're willing to accept for the broadcasting rights. Yet still, not one broadcaster has stepped up and offered any kind of bid, even lower than that. Nothing's happening. People are trying to stay away from the French leagues, and this is a serious, serious concern. If you're any, if you're a French fan or if you're a French businessman who has any affiliation with the leagues, because people are starting to realize now, listen, we've been saying it jokingly over the past few months, even years, it's not really a top five league anymore. This is confirming it. No one wants to pay to show your games. No one wants to watch your games. And I'm sure at the end of the season, the numbers will come out showing the broadcasting, the views, the hits, and I'm sure the total will be substantially lower than leagues that are outside the top five or even the ones that are in. So I really think there's some reason to be concerned if you're a French football fan. And you know, we had this discussion kind of earlier in the year. You guys know, our listeners know, I think by now that we we run our fantasy pool where we pick players from the top five leagues. 
And even before this season's draft, uh, Matteo and I were talking. I, I told him, listen, we're picking players from the top five European leagues. And everyone knows the EPL, La Liga, Syria, Bundesliga are definitely there. But then I think you gave me some sort of criteria or stat that said the Belgian league was actually the fifth biggest league. So that was kind of interesting to me back then. But I'm starting to see more reasons why, because I think you really got the point there that, yeah, most of the stories from the the French league have to do with fan violence, riots, marching onto players' homes like they did to Neymar and um, other controversies or disputes like Mbappé. You rarely hear about players and performances on the field. And that's really what, where people want um, their stories to come from in the French League. Oh, yeah. Like, take out PSG from this league, and seriously, I can't find a reason that you would watch them consistently. Even Marseille. The main teams are Marseille, Lyon, and PSG. Maybe a Monaco, maybe, but even then, I don't know why you'd watch this league consistently compared to other leagues available at the same time, like a Premier League, who, by the way, for context, they had their broadcasting rights up for auction at over two billion pounds, and they were snapped up right away. Um, so it shows that they're not competing with other leagues at all, and there's reason why. And, and you know, while you have like Syria, who are consistently making a push both in the Middle East and in America, trying to market their game. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the French league is thinking. And one thing that I want to put out there is the quality of French football is actually really high. So the Ligue 2 and even the the Zweiten Bundesliga like has some really, really great competition and some really, really strong talent. And you've seen with uh, the French national team, like again, they can almost feel the B team and they have feel the feel of the B team and beaten other teams uh, consistently. So the quality and the talent is there in in, in France. Um, in all the multiple Banilou of uh, of Paris, but it just doesn't translate into uh, a league that's that's managed correctly. I I, I, w- I would say like again, your 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 point is like with PSG, um, like what what is it? A few years ago, you know, they wanted to bring in Jay Z, Beyonce, and everybody, and really kind of uh, Hollywoodize the the team, and it was like that for a bit. Like I think you you'd see people wearing the the PSG jerseys, but. Now it's just like the the quality is off, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe it, did that have to do with PSG and its dominance over over everybody else, or is it just, I guess, uh, the, the the lack of craziness from from a European level, or like you mentioned, is just kind of marketing to Middle East and China, but just being able to say like, are we properly kind of building this league outside of France, or? There's another option, or is it just that there's too much money in the EPL, right? So, you know, a lot of the great French players, because you, you, you got it right. I mean, France has a lot of great players. Are they just playing elsewhere? Yeah. Because there's more money elsewhere. Yeah, and then we've, we've seen that too. I know the Bundesliga picks up a lot of great French players, uh, like 
you know, Kolomwani going to Eintracht before coming back to PSG. Like that's just an example of what they do is just, you know, picking them off on the, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the lower millions and really kind of turning them for great profit to, you know, EPL teams, Serie A teams, La Liga teams, right? Um, I don't, I, I don't know that, but, but you're right. The, the, the quality of play is there. It's just the league isn't managed correctly. So I think that brings us to the end of our weekend update on the semi-informed football podcast. Like it was going to be a great conversation where we kind of hit on a lot of topics and we hit on a lot of uh, interesting things that are happening across the big five leagues in all of Europe. So that's it for us today. All right. Thanks, Mateo. Thanks, Marco. And this is Mark keeping you semi-informed. <laughs>